Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Here on episode 88, we are starting to wrap up the summer here in the U.S. Hope you've had a great summer. Hopefully you've had some uh, some pool time, been able to do some vacations or I don't know, whatever you're up to. I hope you've had a good time. Hey, we've got a great uh, episode, got a great show for you. Hey, quickly, before we get into today, let me remind you that in a couple of weeks, we are going to be hosting something that I've, I've teased you about and I've talked about just briefly. I want to tell you a little bit more about in the next few weeks, but we're going to be hosting the Speaker Lab Summit. This is going to be an online summit where we have gathered 40 of the best of the best world-class top speakers, industry experts, authors, authorities, all on the speaking business, the art and business of speaking. And so we're going to be bringing those to you for free in a summit that we're going to be having in September. So you're going to be hearing about that more in the next few weeks. But uh, I just want to remind you about that. Just give you a little, just a little teaser about what we've got going. We're going to have some of the best of the best speakers there. We're going to have people like Bob Berg. We're going to have Chandler Bolt. We're going to have Grant Baldwin. Yeah, I'm just going to name drop myself there. Jeff Goins. Let's see here else. Who else we have there? Ron Tite, Pam Slim, Pat Flynn. Chris Ducker, Jeff Goins, Michael and Amy Port, Scott Stratton. We've got a great, great lineup of speakers sharing some of the behind the scenes about how they have built and grown their speaking business. So you're not going to want to miss out on that. All right. So for today's episode, we got my buddy Joshua Becker who's a speaker. He, he does some speaking, but uh, he's primarily known as an author. So we're going to be talking today about how he's used his speaking and his books kind of in conjunction there. Also talking about how he uses speaking for free to generate revenue in other ways in his business. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So let's get right into it. Here's my chit chat chatteroo with my buddy, Joshua Becker. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Today, we are joined by my buddy Joshua Becker, who is an author and speaker and has some of the best hair that you will ever see. Now, I know this is an audio podcast and you're going, is it really that good? You're going to have to go to the website for the show notes to check it out or just go to Joshua's site. But his hair, like if he wasn't a speaker, he could be like a model for a hair care product. Is that true? I have never been offered any gigs, but I would accept them in a heartbeat if I was. If you know anybody, send them over. All right, just honestly, like, because I know you just finished, you were doing a lot of speaking engagements. You're doing kind of a, a book tour for your new book that we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. But how many times when you were doing like sessions and just speaking engagements, do people ask you about your hair? Oh, I do a question and answer time every time I speak. And I think twice out of the eight spots, I was asked about my hair. Last week, we went to see a movie with my family. And when I was buying popcorn, the teenage girl behind the cash register said, you have great hair. 
But you probably hear that a lot, was what she said. So <laughs> that's all. See, people like people think like I'm just saying that, but no, it's true. All of society is well aware that you have amazing hair, and and for people that are, are bald like myself, then we're just jealous of that. I could never have something like that. So okay, we're 90 seconds in, and all we've talked about is your hair. So let's get into talk. Uh, give us like kind let's, of let's uh, uh, let let's get into some less important stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's let's first of all let's talk about kind of a big picture here of your business, what it is that you do and kind of how speaking fits into it all. Sure. I, uh, I'm a writer. I run a website called becomingminimalist.com where I inspire people to live bigger lives by owning less stuff. I mean, it was uh, something that I got into eight years ago, just a, a life change that I wanted to have happen in my life. And as I began writing about it and journaling my story, more and more people were drawn to it. And I never set out to become a, a full-time writer or blogger, but that's what I'm doing now because I think it's important work. Speaking is something that I did before. I worked in churches as a pastor, and so speaking is something that I enjoyed doing and was familiar with. And so it was very much a natural extension of what I was putting on paper was to begin speaking about as well. Gotcha. So are you continuing to, like, how does speaking fit into the business today? What, what does that look like? Would you consider yourself more of a, a writer who speaks or a speaker who writes? What does that kind of look like? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a writer who speaks. I'm a writer who speaks. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but or now, but I even made a decision a, a while back that, that I wouldn't charge for speaking other than travel. And so as far as how it fits in my business financially, most of my revenue comes from the writing and things that I do online. I get paid to do speaking for various events, but uh, it's never been the like a main piece of I'm relying on this uh, for income. Gotcha. Okay. And I definitely, I do want to come back and talk about that. I'm curious though, let's dig into your own personal story where you, I don't know if it's more of an epiphany or just this moment where you're like, okay, I'm, we have all this stuff. We don't need this stuff. Let's downsize. And then let's start talking about it and sharing it. I think there's a lot of people listening who I have had some type of significant life experience and people ask me questions about it, whether it's personally or professionally or something. And I'm interested in speaking and sharing my story, but there's always that balance of just because it was your story, just because you lived, it doesn't necessarily mean anybody else cares. So how did you kind of navigate that of taking what was your own personal experience and turning it into what is today your brand? Yeah, I think it's a matter of, you know, finding those points in your story that, that people can relate to, which is uh, sometimes easy and, and sometimes difficult, depending on your story. But, you know, we all have a lot in common. So I think there's a lot of commonalities. My story into minimalism or owning less was I was cleaning out my garage on a Saturday. My five-year-old son was alone in the backyard. I kind of pulled everything out, spent hours working on my garage. And my neighbor actually introduced me to the word minimalism. I was complaining about how much time I had to spend taking care of my stuff. And she said, you know, that's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And I remember looking at the pile of things in my driveway, knowing that my things weren't making me happy. But as I saw my five-year-old son swinging alone in the backyard, had this realization that Everything I owned wasn't making me happy, but even worse, everything I owned was taking me away from the very things that do make me happy and do bring purpose and fulfillment into my life. So that was the epiphany. That was the, the story. And I never set out to share the story in a way that would, would draw people to it. But as I began 
sharing it and writing about it, I found it resonating with a lot of people. And so that then became the, the springboard into, hey, this is a problem that a lot of people have being confirmed by emails and blog statistics and everything. So how can we share this message in more and bigger and better ways? And maybe it's just anecdotally, but how are you getting some of that feedback to give you the sense like it's more than just my neighbor who's interested in my story, but I think there's a bigger need here to write about, to speak about, to share this message with the world. Because again, if I'm on the outside looking in and I'm listening and going like, I got this thing that I've had a few people ask me about, but is that enough to create a business or brand or to speak about? Or would anyone else outside of my little bubble even care about that topic? Like, How did you know that to move forward with creating this brand? So I would say two things. There were probably two things that I was noticing. Number one, I was receiving feedback and it would have been as simple as a comment on the blog. Hey, I never thought of it that way. Hey, you've really helped me. This is really interesting and not kind of the, I don't know, blog comments can be sometimes, Hey, this is really helpful. Now come look at my blog, you know, and, right, and, right. and you're like, I don't know if, if they really meant that or they just want to put a link to their blog on my website. But you can start to see, like some of them are very sincere and you legitimately help someone think through something in a new way. So that was one of the areas. The second spot was I just began noticing the problem around me, that people weren't emailing me and telling me that, but I could see, hey, I can see that you are struggling with the same problems that I was struggling with before. And whether you know I can help you or not, I see that there's a need for this message. So those would be the probably the two indicators early on. And I would say, Grant, there's probably a third indicator that you're the right person to communicate that message, right? I mean, there's a lot of problems that we can see, but we may not be the right one to have the voice to address it or the experience to address it. But as I see those things kind of colliding together, that's what kind of said, okay, let's get this message out. So how did you know that you should be the person to carry that torch? Yeah, and I'll just keep going back to you know what I said, that people started writing me and telling me that people were hey, this makes sense. I never thought of it this way before. And suddenly you find that your voice, your approach is really hitting. It's it's really resonating with people. As far as speaking in particular, I didn't say I want to go speak on this, but my first speaking, actually my first two speaking things were all people that reached out to me. I didn't have a speaking page or anything. They just said, hey, you know, you've, you've impacted my life and I'd love to have you come share your message here in this place. And so that's how the speaking became something that I began to purposefully pursue as I saw people asking me to do it first. So you started by, okay, you, you had this, your own story. You So the next step was to create kind of a blog about it. So you're doing some writing about it. People are starting to notice. You're getting a couple of free invites. Like at what point just in the timeline are you deciding to make speaking a, a bigger part of what you're doing and to share your message with the world? So I can tell you it was, <laughs> it was when I read Michael Hyatt's platform book. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how many years ago that would have been, but I read it and he wrote a chapter on, or at least a section on having a speaking page. Right. And I had been asked to, to come speak at a number of things up until that point. I couldn't remember the frequency or, or how often it was, but I read that and I said, okay, 
yeah, why couldn't I do that? Like, I, I could at least take some intentional steps forward into doing more and more speaking. And so I read the book and read the chapter on a speaking page and created one. And when you put yourself out there and make yourself available, your uh, you know people find you. You know, so I, I guess it's probably for me it was kind of a combination of being unintentional and intentional. You know, I don't know how many people unintentionally become speakers, but that's how I got started. But at some point I said, okay, I've got to become intentional. I've got to put myself out there and, and let people know that, that I want to do this and I'm available for it. It's funny you mentioned that section from Platform from Michael Hyatt. There's an event where you and I met last year actually here in Nashville that uh, you and I were both speaking at and Michael also spoke at it. And, and I was actually I was talking with him backstage before he spoke. We were kind of talking about speaking and he said, you know what? One of the most common questions and one of the more popular chapters from the book platform that he wrote was that section that you just referenced was all about creating a speaker page. He's like, we get more questions about creating a speaker page than we do anything else from that book. So it must have uh, struck a chord with a lot of people. So how do you go from, okay, I'm speaking about minimalism and I'm writing about it and I want to speak about it. And so I put up a page like I'm having a handful of people find me from that. Is there anything else that you did to just proactively go out and find potential gigs? Or is it more just I'm building up an audience and I'm just going to wait till they find me? What did that kind of look like for you? Yeah, I was just wait and see guy. I, I yeah. really was. I mean, I had a pretty significant following online when I did that, which probably made the unintentional approach work. Right. And so I created the page. I didn't hide it on the back end of the blog somewhere, but I published it front and center on the website and said, hey, this is something that I want to do more of. You know, would you have a space for it or a venue for it? So that's what I've done. And there's been, a, you know, I think a lot of word of mouth since then that has led to the, uh, the different opportunities that I've had. So the bulk of it has just come from more word of mouth and more just people that are already familiar with your blog. Yeah, I think so. And it was never the primary thing that I wanted to do with my life. I, I think that if it was the primary thing that I wanted to do, that I wanted to be the minimalist speaker, that that was going to be my primary business model, then I certainly would have taken a lot of different steps and would have reached out to a lot of different people. But because it was always just something that was going to supplement what I was already doing, I've focused more of my attention on just doing what I was doing very well and letting people know that the speaking was available. That's one of the things I really like about speaking is that there's so many different ways to approach this. So in my case, I would consider myself more of a speaker who happens to write. In your case, it's the opposite of a writer who happens to speak. And so there's some people, you know, the people that you and I know that will do, you know, 40, 50, 60 events a year, and that's kind of their full-time bread and butter. And I, I may dabble in some writing on the side. Or like you said, you can do something else can be the full-time what pays the bills and what kind of drives the business. And then you can be a lot more selective about what you're speaking, who you're speaking to, what you're speaking about. And it can be something that's kind of you want to do, not because you necessarily have to do, and it can provide value in a lot of other ways. And it seems like that's kind of what speaking has been in, in your business. Yeah. And I think both complement each other well. You know, I, I think speakers who write are better speakers, and I, I think writers who speak are better writers. What do you think that is? I'm, I'm curious, because that's, I would totally agree with that, but what have you noticed in your own experience as someone who's primarily writes and then presents spoken word from stage? How has writing made you a better speaker, and how has speaking made you a better writer? Oh, yeah. Writing has made me a better speaker, because I, I think the process of sitting down and putting your thoughts together. It's one thing 
when you're speaking, depending on kind of your preference for speaking, if you're like a write out the whole message guy or if you're just a, you know, a points guy, I can go into speak and have nothing but, you know, four points on an outline. But when you sit down to write, you're like, gosh, I really got to think through these sentences. How do I say it? You know, the way I, I want to say it because words on a page, you know, come across differently than words from a stage. So that's how writing has complemented speaking. I think that speaking has affected my writing or has improved my writing in a number of ways. Uh, maybe one of the primary ways I think that speaking influences my writing is that speaking allows for very immediate feedback. You can tell very well when people are resonating with a story. You can tell really well what phrasing hits people because you can see it on their faces as opposed to writing where you put it out there and you don't necessarily see the reaction that you're getting from people. You can see what's confusing. I'm trying to communicate this point, but people are giving me these faces back. Okay, I got to back up and explain this well. I think there's other ways, but just the immediate reaction that we get from speaking is certainly one of the ways that has influenced my writing and improved it. Yeah, I would totally echo that. I think there's kind of this misconception about speakers that the best speakers just kind of get up there and just wing it and just kind of shoot from the hip. But no, there's actually, there's a lot of writing that goes into it of really methodically thinking through what is the best way to communicate this to the audience in a way that makes sense and how do I transition this idea from that idea? So a lot of speaking begins with writing and just kind of fleshing it out and formulating it on paper long before you get on stage. Yeah, for sure. I at least the best speakers, I think, take the time to, to write it out. <laughs> There's probably plenty of speakers who don't, but I, I think the ones who are most effective do. You know, another way that I think speaking has, has helped my writing is I always have a question and answer time. And even if you don't have a formal question and answer time when you're speaking, you still get questions afterwards. And so I think you're able to, after you do it a couple times, you're able to recognize some common struggles that people have that, okay, this question keeps coming up, that, that this is an issue that, that I see people all across the board dealing with. So you know to you know approach your writing in, in that way. Also, just the reality that as we write more and more about a subject and as we live more and more in a topic, we forget what it's like to just be introduced to it for the first time. And so I think speaking helps us remember some of the things that we've taken for granted. Sometimes that we need to go back and kind of re-hit these foundational truths over and over and over again because not everyone's heard them and everyone struggles with them. Yeah, so true, especially that Q&A piece that it's one thing for you to sit and stare at a screen going, I think this is what people want to read and I think this is going to be helpful, but to get their actual questions and their words and be able to help them specifically address their specific situation or need or whatever it may be. But then also, like you said, where if you're doing a, a, several speaking engagements where you're doing a Q&A and every city or every place you go, even though it's a different place, different audience, different situation or setting, you get a lot of the same questions and there's a lot of overlap that definitely start to realize, I think there's something here and I think that this is something I need to be continuing to speak on or to write on or to, to help in some way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that speaking helps us kind of pick our, our target audience. Um, you know, I've been asked to speak at a lot of different venues to a lot of different groups of people, and I've begun to discover, okay, my message hits really well with this segment of the population. So having that audience in mind when you're writing is, is uh, also helpful. So anyway, I think just, uh, I mean, a number of ways that, that speaking benefits writing. I don't think that, I don't know kind of what your philosophy is on this grant. If you think that everyone could be a speaker, I, I, I don't tend to think that. 
So I don't think that necessarily every writer is going to make a, a good speaker, uh, but I do think that every writer should try it. It's a different mental stretch. It's a different way to communicate, which I think is a, a different way to work that muscle. Also, I think that you do get some of that feedback and some of those benefits that I mentioned, even just from doing it a few times, even if you don't end up doing it you know, as a major source of your business or career going forward, I, I still think the the process of, of trying and getting out there and doing it is beneficial to whatever you end up doing in life. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think, you know, writing helps speaking, speaking helps writing. Um, and even though, like you said, most people may identify with one or the other side of it certainly complements the one that you're interested in. So one of the things you kind of touched on there that I'm curious about was, Whenever you were starting to write and starting to do some speaking, what types of events were you speaking at and how did you start to identify your audience? Because you take something like minimalism and it seems like outside looking in, it's a topic that could apply to humans, right? And that's the type of thing that is really, really bad for marketing on who do you want to speak to? I just want to talk to people. I just want to help everyone. Like... Well, that's just t- how do you market to every the human race? That's really, really difficult. So how did you start to narrow down and, and even figure out like who should I be speaking to and who should I be writing to? <laughs> you just ponder it. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of the invitations that I was receiving were fitting into a, a couple different camps. So I found that churches were drawn to my message, probably because of my background pastoring, probably because I brought that unique worldview to this conversation. I found that there were a lot of moms groups, parenting groups that that were asking me to come and speak. Again, probably because I'm a parent and because I bring that unique experience and worldview into the conversation. So if I were to say, how did I narrow it down? It was pretty organic for me in that I I started seeing who was interested in what I was doing and it started to make sense to me. Oh, of course, this would be a good fit for me. Whereas, as a matter of fact, I just turned down an invitation earlier this week to go speak at kind of this environmental forum type thing. And I'm like, I, I get it. Like, it's a very good correlation between what I'm doing and what they're asking for. But I just don't have a lot of experience in that. I'm not that guy. I I approach this topic from a different way. So organic and then just some, I think, some heart searching on what makes me unique and what makes my message unique and what are my experiences and what are my worldview and how do I tap into that on a speaking platform. But I think the point is that there are some subsets there that sure, like on paper, minimalism could apply to humans everywhere, all different ages, all different facets of life. But from a business perspective, or even from writing a book perspective or who you want to speak to, you have to start to narrow down to some type of subset. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to speak only to mom's groups for the rest of your life, but just starting somewhere. And again, sometimes that comes from, you know, a combination of organically of just paying attention to who's asking you of just kind of the soul searching of, yeah, I could hypothetically speak to a lot of environmental groups about this topic, but is that something that I'm necessarily interested in or something that I want to be doing? So it sounds like it's just kind of a combination of all of those. And I assume it's kind of a, it's not one of those like Saturday morning exercises of, well, just who do I want to speak to in my life? And let's write out, okay, I got it. It's just kind of this evolving process over time. And Jim Collins writes about that in his book, Good to Great, where I mean, this is an overarching business principle. You know, are you going to try and do a lot of things kind of well, or are you going to just 
find the one or two things that you do really well and do them better than everyone else. And he said, you know, even do them perfectly. And I think that when you think about speaking, that you can think about it in the same way. Do I just want to be available to any and every group? And, you know, maybe there's a, a part for that where you're kind of testing the waters to find out what you do. But once you start realizing, no, I speak to this group really well, you know, zeroing in on that and uh, kind of, you know, allowing that word of mouth to spread and, and begin, you know, targeting some of those um, subsets. Because you're right, man, there's no lack of speaking opportunities out there. Well, one of the uh, illustrations we use, I, th- I think, would resonate with you is that, you know, when you're figuring out who you want to speak to, think about if you wrote a book, where would that sit on the shelves of Barnes & Noble? So if you're, if you'd say, well, I'd, it would sit everywhere. Where's the human section? Well, there's not a human. So you really got to just narrow down who is this for? What section would this sit within, you know, speaking, writing, whatever, starting to figure that out. One of the things you, you touched on earlier that I'm curious about is that today you speak for free or you don't charge to speak. So what does that kind of look like from, sounds like you generate the bulk of your revenue primarily from book sales and just maybe the blog. But so what is the value for you then in speaking for free? And is there any financial benefit? Does there have to be a financial benefit? How do you kind of view speaking in that realm? Yeah, sure. I'll kind of share the story of how I arrived there and I don't know, go back and or stop me at, at any point. But I first introduced the idea at a, a conference in Portland. Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water, had had spoke and I approached him in the lobby afterwards. I was putting out a, a conference in St. Louis a couple summers after that event and I asked him if he would want to come and speak. It was a an event that our church was going to be a part of. And he said, you know, hey, here's my contact information. I'd love to hear more. And then he just kind of said in passing, he said, and and by the way, I don't charge faith-based organizations for my speaking. And he walked away and I thought, man, that is one of the most kindest sentences I've ever heard in my life. Like how generous and how giving. And literally it was probably days later where I called my wife and I said, Kim, you wouldn't believe this conversation I had with Scott. I think I want to be able to say the same thing. Like I don't need, I don't need the money. You know, not that I have a ton of money, but we don't have a lot of expenses because we're not buying a lot of stuff. And what I have been doing online covers all of our bills. And I just said, I would love to be able to open myself up to organizations. And in that way, my speaking isn't motivated by revenue. So it's not whoever pays me the most, I'm going to go. But the filter that I have is opportunity for impact. So I choose my speaking gigs, not if someone can pay the bill, but this is an opportunity for me to have influence. This is a place where my message is going to be received and I align my values with this organization's values. It also allows me to be to be pretty selective. Scott didn't end up coming to speak at our conference. <laughs> and and it, it allows me to say, hey, I speak for free, but I don't speak everywhere. You know, if, sure. if it's too much of a time commitment, if it's something that that I don't necessarily want to do, then I can turn that down and, and they can't say, yeah, but we, we paid your bills. So those are some of the ideas behind it. It was much more a motivation of, this is a new venue. This is a new opportunity for me to spread this message to people who don't necessarily read blogs or read books and a way to be you know, out there and, and available to people. Okay, let's wrap up with this. So you have a new book out, The More of Less, and we've kind of touched on that, danced around that a little bit. But I'm curious, how do you balance as a speaker, as an author, as a writer and an entrepreneur, uh, someone who... 
I, I want to make a difference in the world, but at the same time, I'm competing with I have to eat and live indoors. So I would love to be able to speak and to write and just to help people and just be able to do that for free. But at the same time, I have financial obligations, but I don't want to be so consumed with those financial obligations that it takes me away from the ability to help people. So just philosophically, you are someone who seems like you do that really, really well. So how do you balance that of, I have a business and I have expenses, may not be many of them, but I do have expenses with, I do want to help other people and I want to make a difference with my message, whether that be through writing or speaking or or through whatever means. How do you balance that? Okay. So we were talking a little bit earlier is, you know, is your story so unique that it doesn't resonate? I don't know if this puts me in that category or not. I, I don't think so. I think that there's truth in this that anyone can benefit from. But my main goal, and I, I mean, I want to say this and, I, and I, I want it to be true of me, and I think it is, but my main goal of my work has always been I want to help people. That's always been what I said first. How can I help the most amount of people in the most effective way? And I think when businesses start with that focus, the money follows. Great teachers serve their students. Great businesses serve their customers. And so I've always said, how can I help the most amount of people in the most effective way? And then along the way, the money started to come for me. Now, certainly there were, you know, some specific things that I did, right? You, you write a book and you try to price it correctly. And, you know, some of the things that you learn about growing a business and, and certainly speaking for free means I get to help a lot of people. But I also know that there's some business payback because of that, right? Because I go speak to 500 people, this many end up buying the book and this percentage end up telling their friends about me. And uh, so they end up buying the book. And so I, I know that there's some payoff um, in there as well. I think there's also a point where the best thing that we can do to help people is start making more money, right? I was just kind of writing as a hobby for the first five years of doing this. And, and there came a point where I said, I can probably help more people if I start charging more money, if I start making more money that I can do this full time. So, but even in that vein and even in that philosophy, it was, I'm not doing this to make the money or to grow the business other than I want to help people and this will allow me to do more of that. So that's kind of the thinking that I use and certainly there's generosity involved, but there's also business principles and and how do I do this well so I can be effective in in what I'm doing. But it it all starts with that mindset and I hope that's true of me. I I say it's true of me and I, I hope it actually is. How do we as entrepreneurs and speakers be content with what we have and balance that with what we are striving to build and the difference that we're trying to make. Does that make sense? I've had that conversation a lot lately with some different peers and colleagues and as entrepreneurs, again, it's just that I want to build something significant, but at the same time, I want to be content with where I'm at. And so I'm I'm guessing that minimalism is more than just your, more than just the stuff that you have in your attic or your garage, but it's about the mentality and enjoying the journey along the way. So how do you kind of reconcile the two between growing and building a business slash life, but also being content along the way? I think you get real honest and real focused on why you want to do that. I mean, I think that that's the question that you need to answer. Why do I want to build 
this big of a business? Why do I want this big of an organization? Because uh, I think sometimes that's that's motivated by, you know, generosity. I, I genuinely think I can help more people if I grow that big of a business. But other times I think it's motivated by, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to prove something to somebody. I'm, I'm trying to make a certain amount of money. You know, there, there's a certain bit of self-worth that's wrapped up in my business. I think that we will all say that, that we want to help people with our businesses and with our organizations, but I think we get drilled down a little bit deeper and, and really start to, even me, right? Like even in my answer before it was, I like to think it's because I'm helping people, but I, you know, I, I got to be real honest with my heart sometimes and drill in on there. And then I, I think the second part is a large multinational, multi-employee organization isn't right for everybody. Actually, I was having a conversation with a speaker about this. I'm kind of wrestling with, hey, it's just me. I've got a little part-time help, but mostly it's just me doing what I'm doing. Do I want to build this bigger and do I want to hire employees and, and you know see what I can do? And 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 he said, look, there's this spectrum, you know, there's the one person entrepreneurs and then there's the John Maxwell International Organization and Entrepreneurs. And there's this wide spectrum in between and neither of them are wrong. It's just what fits you best, what fits your personality, what do you enjoy doing, what, what's the type of organization that you want to grow and that you want to be and getting real with, with your gifts and skills and not just capacity, but what you actually enjoy doing. It's you know, it's very different being a one-person entrepreneur doing what you love as opposed to managing 20 different employees. It's just a, a very different skill set and way of life. Is it possible to figure that, to know that answer before you go down that path? Or is that one of those things that you just, I don't really know if this is where I want to be until I'm there? I would say, no, I think there's certainly trial and error. I think there's certainly, you know, going back and forth on what works, but I would just keep returning to to that question. How, how can I help the most amount of people? How can I be most effective in helping people is probably even a better question to ask. How can I be most effective in helping people? And sometimes that means you're hiring someone to help you. And, and sometimes it means that you're charging more for your books. Sometimes it means you're charging less. Makes sense. Hey, speaking of books, we have touched on your book, The More of Less. Why don't you give us the nutshell? What's the book about? Where can we find it? The book is available everywhere, Amazon and available uh, bookstores everywhere. It's called The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. It's about the reality that we have been fed this lie that uh, our life will be better if we own more. And as people begin owning less, they suddenly find that they have more time and money and energy and and focus, less stress, uh, more freedom to pursue the things in life that actually matter. Beautiful. And so we will definitely link up to that in the the show notes for Amazon and everywhere books are sold. If people want to find out more about you, your blog and what you've got going, where can we go? Becomingminimalist.com. Becomingminimalist.com. Excellent. Well, again, I would encourage everyone, first of all, just to stop by the show notes page, just to check out a picture of you and just to see that hair. That hair is just, it is a mane of beauty that I will, uh, I will dream of having, but will never quite have. So, and people, you know, this, because this is audio only, people don't get to see you and I, the way your hair looks literally at this moment is just, it's all, it's everywhere and everywhere and nowhere. And somehow it still looks magical. So... If you can imagine swimming late night and then going directly to bed and getting up in the morning, that's how it looks. Beautiful. Well, with that closing picture, we'll wrap up. Thanks for hanging out with us, buddy.
Oh, thanks for having me on, Grant. I appreciate you and uh, appreciate all you're doing. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joshua Becker. Really good stuff there. He's a great dude. You gotta. I know we talked a lot about his hair. You got to go check out a picture of his hair now. Just go to the show notes. You can find that over at thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. Hey, if you haven't already, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. And that way you don't miss out on any episode. We do these episodes every single week. Don't want you to miss out on them. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. All right, my friends, we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.